following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Life in Christ. Jesus once said that we need to be like children in our faith. Paul, in the passage we heard from Ephesians a moment ago, said that we should not be like children, that we need to grow up in our faith. Actually, Jesus and Paul were not contradicting one another, but were simply using the image of childhood in different ways. Jesus was saying that we need certain childlike qualities in our faith, such as wonder, trust, openness, and sincerity. Paul was thinking about how children need to grow to maturity. And he was saying that we likewise need to keep growing in our faith. Too many people in Paul's mind remain spiritually underdeveloped. And they are therefore, as he puts it, tossed to and fro by various challenges and deceptive ideas. Paul calls his readers instead to grow up, to mature personhood to grow, in his words, into Christ. Let's be for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Nowadays in America, there are a lot of people who have a little bit of religion. They believe in God, more or less. They have some sense that Jesus was a special person They know a touch about the Bible, and especially have a feeling that the Bible teaches us that we ought to love one another. Yet many people seem to feel that they do not need anything more than this kind of rudimentary set of religious ideas. Ralph Sockman, who was a prominent Methodist preacher in the mid-20th century, once recounted a story about a doctor that he knew. The doctor said to him, why should I go to church? I learned Bible stories and the Ten Commandments back when I was a boy. Sockman replied, well then, why do you go to medical conventions and clinics and read papers? You got your MD 30 years ago. We recognize the need for ongoing growth in many aspects of our earthly journey. How much more then should we recognize our need to grow in our spiritual journey? A curious thing sometimes happens around confirmation. Young people, having completed a year-long experience of learning about Christian faith, proclaim their their faith in Jesus Christ on Confirmation Sunday. Then, not infrequently, one or more of them will disappear. We never see them again. They seem to think that they have graduated and they are done. Hopefully that will not happen this year. The reality is that confirmation is not intended as the end of a journey, but rather a beginning, a beginning of lifelong growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Clement of Alexandria, one of the early theologians of the church, said that for the Christian, all of life should be a course of spiritual education taught by the one master through the Holy Spirit. This is why we continue to gather for worship 
It's why we have adult Christian learning opportunities such as uh, University of Life and Disciple Bible Study. It's why we have many different avenues in our church for living out Christian faith because we need to keep growing in our understanding, in our relationship, in our walk with God. The season of the year is a good time to be thinking about growth. All the plants around us are blossoming and leafing out and growing, giving us a helpful model of the essential elements that are required for growth. A key element certainly is nutrition. Jesus spoke of how we need spiritual nutrition when he referred to himself as the bread of life, or in another time said that he would place within us a spring of the water of life. We're getting plenty of water around us here in Northeast Ohio today. Paul in his letters likewise talked about how we need, in his words, spiritual meat and milk, again using that nutrition image. We know that we cannot just skip meals repeatedly and eat poorly and at the same time remain healthy. In the same way, we need the steady spiritual nutrients of worship and prayer Bible study and Christian fellowship and service in order for our spirits to remain healthy and growing. Another necessary element for growth is time. If you plant a small tree in your yard, you have to wait a long time and keep nurturing it until it reaches maturity. But in the religious sphere, many people want instant religion. People want to just say they believe or have some spiritual moment that can enable them to think that they have somehow arrived with God. But for true spiritual maturity, we need to spend time connecting steadily with God in spiritual practices, learning and growing in God's word. Yet another key element for spiritual growth is community. Last weekend, Mavis and I were driving down a three-lane highway when suddenly we saw up ahead what appeared to be leaves swirling on the road. A car a little ahead of us started to brake. We became more cautious, and as we approached, we saw that it was actually a group of little ducklings scampering across this big highway. They all made it. If it had been just one wandering duckling, it never would have been noticed and probably would not have made it. Ducklings stick together in order to have a chance at survival and growth. And you can see a lot of examples of that in, in the natural world of creatures thriving in community. The scriptures stress that spiritual growth happens in community which is why Jesus called 12 disciples and why he said that where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst. Paul expressed the same idea of community in our passage when he said that the church as the whole body of Christ grows and upbuilds itself in love. It is common nowadays for people to think that they don't need the church, they can just be spiritual individually, but in fact, it is in the fellowship of the church that we can truly grow. If you think about these elements that are needed for spiritual growth, steadily taking in spiritual nutrition, 
engaging in a spiritual journey across time, joining in a spiritual community, it becomes clear that what is essential for it all is commitment. You can see this in the first disciples of Jesus. Jesus called the disciples to follow him, which meant embarking on a lifelong journey of growing together in faith. To make that kind of commitment requires some serious personal reflection to consider what is required and what exactly what you know, one is getting into. And this is what Jesus was talking about in the parables that we heard this morning. Jesus told two short parables that we now call the parable of the tower builder and the parable of the king preparing for war. Both parables draw imagery from the ancient Near Eastern world, but you can also quite readily see contemporary examples of each storyline. The parable of the king preparing for war sketches the situation of a king who is thinking of going to war, but who should carefully assess the strength of his opponent, lest he fail in the venture. The contemporary example, of course, is Vladimir Putin, who launched his invasion of Ukraine without rightly assessing the readiness of the Ukrainians to resist or the willingness of free countries to band together in opposition to him. The parable of the tower builder is about someone who is thinking of building a tower, but who needs to rightly count the cost to know if enough resources are available to complete the project. You can see a contemporary illustration of that by just driving to Cuyahoga Falls to see the tower that Rex Humbard built, which to this day does not have the revolving restaurant on top it was supposed to have since he ran out of money. Jesus told these two parables immediately after he had said, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus was making clear that discipleship is not a venture into which one enters lightly. To carry the cross means to be willing to make sacrifices, to be willing to endure suffering for the sake of God's kingdom. To follow Jesus, obviously, is not a casual undertaking. It means not simply to believe in Jesus, but to join with Jesus, to share fully in his ministry to all the world. That entails substantial cost and staying power. Jesus emphasized the cost of discipleship right after telling those two parables when he said, so therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Now certainly that does not mean that we should each right now go out and give away everything we own, then we would need other people to help us. But it means that as disciples, we are called to put ourselves and all our possessions at God's disposal so that we are no longer attached to all our stuff, but that we share generously in God's good work. As Paul would later say, we are to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share. In short, Jesus in his teaching accents the considerable demands of discipleship. Jesus' approach is the, is, the, is the precise opposite of what contemporary marketers very often do. When someone is trying to sell you something today, a standard approach is to try to convince you that it really does not cost so much after all. 
the salesperson will focus on how small your monthly payment will be, trying to turn your attention away from what the grand total will be after years of payments and piles of interest. The sales message is that buying this thing, whatever it is, will be easy. Sometimes people want to put the same sort of spin on the call to be a Christian. Just believe in Jesus, you'll be saved, people will say, which has a certain truth, but which leaves out the whole following Jesus part. Jesus, in contrast, makes plain that following him will be challenging. That is the point of those two parables, that you'd better be prepared for considerable effort and expense. If you're not ready to make the commitment necessary, Jesus says, don't even bother to start. Surely Jesus is not trying to discourage people from following him, but I find his approach to be similar to what an athletic coach today might say to a team that is starting out a season in sports. A good coach will not say, okay team, this is gonna be easy. Just sit back, show up whenever you like for a game and expect a nice time. That team will get smashed. A good coach rather will say to the team, get ready for tough work. We exercise daily, we practice hard, our opponents are brutal, and if you cannot give 110%, you're never gonna make it on this team. The players, in all likelihood, will not walk out at that point. Rather, they will commit themselves to do what they need to do in order to have a successful season. Jesus is calling for commitment. And that is what we celebrate on Confirmation Sunday. Young people standing up for confirmation are saying yes to Christ and are making a commitment to follow as disciples. We are each invited to make that same sort of commitment, not simply a light-hearted nod toward Christian belief, but a full personal commitment to Jesus Christ, involving our whole self and all that we have so that we are able finally to grow in the way that Paul described until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the full measure, the measure of the full stature of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks that you call each one of us to follow you you would draw us to yourself, ready to pour out your forgiving grace upon us, here to lead us in new and everlasting life. Inspire us, O oh Lord, that we might truly hear that call for our own lives and that we might respond in faith, truly committing ourselves to join with you, to journey, Lord, with you, to grow with you, and to share fully then in that life of discipleship into which you are calling us. Lord, we thank you that no matter who we are, you invite us right now as we are. You are calling us today just as you called those first disciples. Lead us, O oh Lord, to stand up in faith, to indeed join our lives with you, and to then share in that lifelong journey 
in which we grow as your people and are empowered then to share in your works in our world today. We thank you, Lord, that you draw us into the life of your church so that here in this community of faith, we can grow together and we can share in reaching out together in mission to the world. We do reach out to persons in times of illness, recuperating from surgeries, dealing with accidents. We pray especially this morning for Thelma Seifert and for Lee Hall. We also pray for those who are mourning, who have lost loved ones, and we pray for the family and friends of Nancy Wirtz, giving thanks, O oh God, for her decades of faithful witness and service in the life of this church. We lift up the family and friends of Chris Palmer and the family and friends of Joanne Maynard. We pray, Lord, for the assurance of your everlasting promises, for the comfort that comes from your Holy Spirit. We give you thanks for the gift of new life. We praise you for the gift of the birth of Walter Wilson Fox, praying that you'd be with his parents, Richard and Brittany, and with the, the whole family. Praying, Lord, that your blessing would be upon all families, that children and young people might truly grow in faith. We thank you for your church family, Lord, and lift up our fellow United Methodists at the Talmadge United Methodist Church. And we give thanks that we can join as part of your hands and feet in the world today. We think of persons around the world in times of great trouble. We do pray especially for the people of Ukraine in this horrible time of warfare in their land. We pray that your spirit would lead persons to that true life of peace and love, O oh Lord, into which you call us. And pray you would guide us as your church, as we would be in mission to others. Lead us, Lord, as we today would respond to you in commitment and faith and as we rejoice in the life that we have in you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.